Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. Fantastic. Hello. So it's great to have such a full panel. Thank you all so much for joining today. Now, I want to jump straight in because we are a little bit behind schedule and I want to catch up with some, some lost time. We're, t- we're taking a look today at the D-Data and the Metaverse and more importantly, building your equity in the Metaverse. And Dylan, you've had a very busy day. You moderated an absolutely star-studded panel with Edward Snowden and also Gavin Wood. And towards the end of the conversation, things did get a little bit heated when it comes to to metaverse conversations and both opinions on the metaverse. So when it comes to the statement of building your equity in the metaverse, I do want to start with you and ask, when you hear that statement, what would your strategy or approach be? There need to be some technological antecedents and a composite of probably technologies in place prior to the idea of building your equity in the metaverse being a thing. Nevertheless, Conceptually, it's something that we can discuss right now uh, with, you know, the full measure of optimism that we would throw at any other endeavor that we hope would widen the scope of human freedom. The perspective of, you know, um, of building your equity in the metaverse is the perspective of sort of like flipping the script on the, um, again, I'll use this sort of phrase, Faustian bargain that we've made. And it's a good one, by the way, because we have access to all knowledge all the time. Um, But this Faustian bargain that we've made uh, uh, of being sort of the products of um, of the average of 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 the platforms that we are on. Now, if you had the ability to be on a platform and have some, uh, and this is where the idea of equity comes in, uh, to have some real way to own or accrue um, sort, it can be you know items in the metaverse. It could be. Uh, reputational indicators. It could be virtual land, or it could even be a hybrid of like off-chain, you know, uh, VC attestation, you know, that I think Evan can probably jump in on this better than I can. But um, this is the perspective, right? And it will come with challenges, but this is the perspective. So then just to follow on that, because Evan, they've kind of, uh, Dylan has uh, directed the conversation to you next. What, what is your take on this? And also when it comes to an acquisition standpoint as well, is it anyone's game or are we going to see like traditionally with the uh, equity space uh, that we are living in now, that it is many of the big players that tend to dominate the scenes? That's a great question. So as Dylan was just noting, the big players are able to enjoy dominance and market leadership because of the nature of surveillance capitalism. Um, The business model upon which they rely necessarily requires that end users do not have equity in the work product of their data that is generated by user activities in digital spaces, captured by the app environments or you know, overseeing governing environments. Um, and then the computed data upon your actions is sold and the product is a fractional mindshare change uh, that, that can be you know, bestowed upon you, influence upon you. Um, and so because we do not today have equity in the data that we create, 
this enables an, an, an ecosystem and an economic model where surveillance capitalism is feasible. The moment that you start to cut the subject of the data into its use, and you require the consent of that individual, the subject of that data, um, to use that, that information in other ways, to monetize it, to engage with it, that gives the opportunity for that data to uh, have a sort of share of its equity and its value held by the individual who created the data in the first place, um, which this concept of self-sovereignty in the metaverse is underpinned by the assumption that we will take part in the financial upside of the data that we generate in our actions. Now, the limiting factor to being able to enjoy this equity in the same way that we can enjoy um, self-sovereign ownership of existing crypto assets on chain is that we need a vessel for our data that can be similarly self-sovereign. Until we have the ability to own and control it under our, our consent and our governance and our storage preferences, um, we cannot fully participate in that equity. So as Dylan was noting earlier, there are many technological advancements that need to evolve, specifically the ability to store off-chain, private, revocable, personal data that is not appropriate for on-chain publication, um, being able to store that data in a self-sovereign way governed by its subject. Fantastic, thank you. I'm very, I'd like to turn to you now because I can see you, you nodding along in, in agreement to some of the points that, that Evan has made there. When it comes to the, the landscape, how would you evaluate things at present? And also how close are we to ownership of this D-data uh, and really this self-sovereign approach that we are, we are talking about today? Sorry, is that a question for me? Uh, yes, it was. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, uh, I'm the CEO, co founder of Big Pantry. We enable everyone to launch their white label metaverse. Uh, we, um, uh, I personally are already native to the metaverse. I play games. You know, my son actually plays games next to me you know, in, in the metaverse all the time. So to us, uh, the digital goods has already become more important than the real stuff like Christmas. They don't want, uh, you know, things like uh, Transformers and more. What they want is the computer game skins and Robux, you know, also some piece of the land, for example, at Bay Country. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think, uh, you know, come, come down to the utility of those, you know, items, uh, which can give you power, give you a new relationship, uh, give you a new narrative story to tell other people. Uh, especially, you know, uh, with those uh, data, uh, you can have more native experience in a different medium. Uh, for example, in big country, uh, people on the land have mining power. Potentially, uh, on the open economy, they can make a living out of it, uh, and then they can develop it and and later subdivide it and sell to other people. Uh, potentially. Uh, shared ownership at the same time, creating a community. So we call it, we call it the grow to earn. Uh, that means you build a community and to earn extra um, you know, benefits and in income. Uh, and in, at the same time, we, uh, we see that disrupting the Web2 economic model, which is the centralized entity, they harvest in the time of the fans and they redistribute a little bit of the profit to the uh, creators, right? Whereas in decentralized uh, platform like um, you know all the blockchain metaverse projects, uh, simply just a transaction fee, 
right? So that's a fundamental difference. So with that in the context, um, I think uh, data is an asset. It has ownership, has utility, has the amount. Uh, to me, it's very native. You know, this is something that we already, you know, I have gotten that in, in, in PUBG, sorry, in Counter-Strike, that was about $10,000. Uh, where I bought it for you know, three hundred dollars, and a lot more people want it, and then you know it's quite a, uh, appealing to you know to new generations. Yeah. Real, thank fine. you for your insights there. Uh, so now, Paul, I would like to turn to you because based on some of the insights that we have heard from the the rest of the panelists, what is your take on, on this? And also, when it comes to maybe any challenges that haven't been addressed yet, that they could stand in the way of these future road plans. Yeah, you know, I can I can basically only add to to what um, all the participants already mentioned, but I think it's uh, absolutely a conscious choice we can we can make. Um, how do we want to use a metaverse? So um, uh, there's the option of taking closed and uh, using closed systems, which possibly today have a better experience than. I guess rather alpha alpha based versions of of an open metaverse, uh, and it does require some some missing technology. What what Evan was already mentioning that um, I think there's often a misconception that all that data could be stored on chain, which is um, at least currently absolutely not true. So this this data needs to be safe somewhere, <clears throat> and uh, we're, we're missing that technology that which enables us to have. Um, um, really great experiences which do require some data where we do leave some data to have um, an immersive experience uh, where shall it be stored how shall it be governed um, so something's missing but um, at least the people who are building it um, even though they might come historically from from web point uh, 2.0 companies uh, former like gaming companies i think they do see the value and um, coming back to uh, I, I guess the, the panel's topic, building building your equity in the metaverse, um, I think there's a huge opportunity for all of us jointly to build such an equity and distribute it fairly. I mean, when we look at at, uh, at DeFi, I think when looking at DAOs and, and token economics, uh, I think the space does have a history in trying to find incentive systems which incentivize people who are early to incentivize them them more than than I guess latecomers and and create such incentives and I think the same we'll see in a metaverse and these incentives will drive um, a more open uh, metaverse where data ideally is um, owned by all and, and not just one large entity and this is something data <clears throat> we obviously um, on a daily basis, uh, deal quite a lot with. So historically, DIA, um, we we usually um, we basically are calculating reference rates and, and pricing data, so financial data. But um, we were quite early on, um, I guess, also personally uh, involved in, in in looking what data means for the open metaverse, and we're um, outlier ventures, which pretty early on also created this open metaverse thesis, an investor from us. Um, we, we thought about how can we actually create the framework of making data accessible and usable because it's so fragmented, um, saved somewhere in so different formats and not accessible. So to create some um, 
homogeneous data sets, we're really at the beginning. It's much more challenging to be to be frank than doing this for for a token price to to make these metadata sets accessible and to to structure them in a way. Um, but it's quite exciting, and um, I mean, uh, I think everybody is kind of onboarding on the journey to to um, jointly own that data and not just lock it away. And you made some really interesting points there. And one was regarding being the front runners. You are always tending to be rewarded more than those late entry points. Uh, and Dylan, I saw you nodding in agreement there. If we look ahead then to five or 10 years down the line, is there any risk that for uh, D-Data, it won't actually be as decentralized in this metaverse, just because of the sheer volume in which we are seeing the, the, this ecosystem grow, uh, is there any risk that go ahead for potential users, consumers moving forward? If we operate from the assumption that the metaverse in some ways is already here, um, maybe we could kind of like just kind of put a, an imagination cap. Like I think it almost kind of is. Um, and, you know, there's like CryptoPunks and Board Ape Yacht Club. And yeah, this is like the limited, you know, kind of utility of an NFT. But these people are already who own these things are already in, um, a highly kind of like, um, we call it like rarefied like place within the whole metaverse, right? And it stands to reason that if you if you have custody over like a CryptoPunk that moving forward into time, that's going to if that was an indicator of a number of things like about you, uh, that's going to give you some benefit. So um, yes, but that's not a bad thing because we want the visionaries and we want the you know mavericks uh, in, uh, in, involved at early stages, in my opinion, um, in these sorts of, uh, I guess, metaversal situations. Now, um, I think that, I think that like, if you want to take, uh, kind of a, a, a counter view to that, um, you say, well, you know, this is like kind of like an increasing concentration of um, power and, and you can kind of take maybe like there's only a handful of holders. But if the parameters of the system are engineered toward fairness, toward, um, toward equitability, and if the locus of the uh, unification of a metaversal experience is placed within the individual, then you know what? Game on. Let's go. Let's figure it out. You think you're you think you're gonna figure it out better than someone? Do it, man, or woman, or whatever you identify as. Right? Like you should do it. You should try to figure it out. I mean, it's like that's. I think that's the way to go. Um. So my my final kind of like thought on that is that um, the individual and I certainly identity ideas about identity is going to have to be the locus of where the stuff gets unified and the stuff like sits, right? In terms of data, um, ownership, collection, custody, referencing, coordination, operationalization, monetization, um, accrual, you know, it's all got to, I think it really has to sit within the individual. And Evan, I want to turn to, to your thoughts there because you were, you were not in agreement. Are you in completely aligned with, with Dilemma's insights? I absolutely am, you know, and, and the metaverse as with much of the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. And so um, looking at, you know, the, the initial sort of emergent examples of how um, ownership and expression of self is occurring in the metaverse, despite the limited capabilities of on-chain actions. Um, I think that this provides a really strong signal for the type of impulses that users have. They want to use 
um, crypto assets and Web3 technologies, not only to enable themselves as the transport layer for their own data, able to build reputation in one space and use it in another, as for example, with some of these profile picture NFT collections that allow you to use your NFTs inside of games, use them to enter events, et cetera. Um, however, again, the persistent challenge remains, how can you be the vessel or the, the transport layer for your own information if the only effective storage place for that information is a public database that is quite expensive. Um, and so sort of to hint at some of the technological solutions that we're seeing developed right now, um, the uh, W3C standards around decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials uh, stipulate an approach for cross-chain interoperability, talking between blockchains, exchanging uh, off-chain data that is just as verifiable and trustless as if it came from a blockchain, um, but can exist in a form that can truly be owned and controlled by the subject. Um, and so the ability to do things like use your MetaMask keys or use your on-chain keys to sign off-chain messages allows us to sort of broaden the, um, the step toward that equity in creating data that can be ours. Um, now, one of the big limiting factors, I think, right now is wallet infrastructure. And um, I know Dylan thinks a lot about this, um, but you know, your typical Web3 wallet is really like a, like a telescope. Um, you're able to kind of see what's happening out there in the chain, um, but you are not able to hold a lot of data locally because there's very little storage. Um, we don't need a telescope, we need a vault if we need to hold data that is ours, signed JSON blobs, files that take up space and need to go somewhere to sleep at night. They need to physically sit somewhere. Um, and so the, um, the sort of melding of on-chain identifier with ownership of cross-chain messages and governance over um, decentrally stored off-chain data uh, gives us at least a glimpse at the kind of experiences that we can enjoy. But you know, to some of the points of, of the other speakers earlier, um, the data availability and, and sort of frameworks around that, how that data is accessed determines the extent to which we can use it in applications, decentralized applications and other contexts. Um, and so uh, I think you know, one, one of the other panelists earlier noted that usability is the biggest blocker, um, not you know, a hypothetical solution or even basic tooling. Um, and I think this, this reiterates one of the great challenges of Web3. Um, in my humble estimation, usability is a greater blocker than scalability. Uh, you don't need extra bouncers at the club if your party is not full. And so um, folks are having a hard time sorting out how to get in and how to you know, enjoy their best selves if we were to continue this party metaphor. Um, and so I think you know, getting folks into the off-chain data party, as it were, um, creates this, uh, this sort of portal of opportunity to really scale. Um, however, the question then becomes, what is that enabling mechanism? What is the action or opportunity that will cause end users and enterprises alike to jump on this off-chain data storage in association with on-chain identifiers. Um, but perhaps thankfully, the advent of NFTs and their great popularity in our broader culture gives a starting point for conversation. Um, and as I noted earlier, because people are using NFTs as a proxy for reputation and self-performance in public spaces, um, they are a, a familiar starting point for this conversation. Um, so on my team at Certo, we focus on these, uh, these off-chain credentials and where they can go, how they can move. Um, with NFT3 uh, that I am fortunate to uh, advise Dylan's, Dylan's team, um, they are, are focused deeply on how NFTs can provide that jumping off point, a point of embarkation, an on-chain presence 
that uh, serves as the point of gathering we talked about earlier for all of that off-chain data governed, owned, controlled, written about the party who owns the keys to that NFT's identifier. Fantastic insights. Love the analogy there. That was the first time I've heard that and I'm definitely going to, to pass that along because it's a very informative. Uh, so you've mentioned that NFTs and the metaverse is really being this enabler for this move forward. What do you think we're going to need to see? And I'd like to spend attention to either to Ray or Paul to feel free to answer. What do we think are going to be the next few steps that are really critical in this transition now? Because this is a pretty historic time for what we're seeing as people start to understand the importance of decentralized data and also this ownership model that we are newly being introduced to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good. I can go first if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, think, I think my view, you know, we started the big country metaverse concept in 2018. That's when I registered domain name in San Francisco. Um, I want to use this to you know, demonstrate our, my own or our team's understanding of our origin uh, people and the future. Uh, so uh, the first problem that we want to solve is that you know crypto is amazing, give us a utopia feeling, while there wasn't a utopia kind of a world. I think uh, you know we were created by with a free will and using imaginations. We thought to create something that allowed people to do that. So in the metaverse, uh, we, we, we believe there will be new native experience to be created that doesn't really exist in our house, on the street, or even the computer games. So those new native experience is something, sorry, my kids is here. Um, the new native experience we are creating, I'll give you an example. Um, we have a metal soul concept. That means, you know, uh, either you or, or, you know, anyone has an avatar, uh, that can create a meta soul uh, mirror version of their own uh, own uh, interpretation. So they can create a, a cyborg or even a different gender or, uh, or or something alien, right? And they can continue to feed that with either some energy source, which is another token, or some kind of uh, inputs of knowledge, and and then the different meta souls can interact. So it's almost like I made many of me in different forms and experiment a social uh, uh, connectivity with other beings. So that's something as a wonderful thing we created. Uh, we made a beautiful avatar. You can customize it, represent your, your own version of a meta. So, and then potentially can be driven by AI as well as other real human assistant. So that kind of new relationship between you, your avatar, your meta soul, versus your metal soul's driver with other people's. So this is kind of a new thing we are creating over here, just to give you an idea. And then uh, we'll make an announcement um, in, in the future, soon future, early next year about the solution. We've already been building that. And it's part of, going to be part of the big country. So anyone launch their own metaverse or yourself have a new identity and then new um, identities identity. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Nice. Sorry. No, no. It yeah, is I mean, we got a really cool avatar. Check out what we have. There you go. And feel free to converse with yourself as well. And Paul, I do want to, to go back to you then and just hear your insights as well based on the conversation that we were having uh, earlier. Yeah, sure. So let me let me um, let me just share what what I'm most excited about. I guess is um, 
in these early days to like we'll see, and I think we're really on the verge of this, that we'll see a metaverse which actually provides utility, which is beyond just financial incentives. Because when we look, okay, what's the utility of spending time in Decentraland or or or, or sandbox? Um, what what does a person actually get from there or, or or playing something like Axie Infinity? However, you want to define the metaverse right now. So I think it requires. Um, engaging experiences, whatever that might be. So uh, I don't know who, who went to, to, to uh, I forgot the title, but this Kraken sponsored concert in the metaverse. So I think that was the first time I actually saw people there. I spent some time there for, for looking at various things. But you saw, okay, here's an experience happening, which is somewhat engaging. I do enjoy the time I'm spending here. And um, and I think this is, this is great because um, then we're not just building something for us builders, which, which somehow functions, but where people actually have a good experience and enjoy it. And if we ensure that all this happens, not only on a centralized stack, um, but on, on a web-free stack, um, which is obviously much harder to create uh, an, an interesting experience, and I'm, I'm quite, quite positive of the future. And, um, and I think in order that we'll see uh, a metaverse, which is not just one metaverse, but many connected. I think, and this is probably a, a boring ending here, but it, it requires some sort of standardization. Um, this is something, I guess, some learnings we took from, from DeFi. When you see, for example, EVM just as a concept, um, it's so easy for everyone to, to, to create some applications or utility based on one harmonized standard. Um, and enables cross-chain functionalities. Uh, and when you look at bridges and other, I guess, DeFi legal blocks, uh, which are all one way or the other a form of standardization, I think if we if we if we manage to bring certain standards, even though we might have now 20, maybe we can connect them all. Maybe we get rid of most of them. But I think this is kind of a building block, and the fundamental pillar will need to have a web-free based um, connected um, metaverse, which is not just one centralized part. And we're, we're trying to, to do our best basically to contribute in one, one small way here to, to bring certain data sets. It's impossible to bring all um, um, to, this, uh, uh, to, to these different disconnected ecosystems and make them very easy accessible. Um, yeah. Awesome. Now, what I'd like to do now as a final note is ask each uh, each one of you four panelists, because you're all very well equipped to answer when we talk about kind of the attraction that we have seen to play to earns in 2021 specifically. And we saw the user incentives for anyone this kind of level playing field when it comes to user attractions for individual users now that are based in different geographical regions around the world. And when it comes to them building their own independent equity, whether that's from the D-Data incentive or the play to earn, what kind of advice would you give to them? Because I'm sure these kind of panel discussions do attract new users that are still learning about this, this wild world and even where to begin. Uh, so maybe Evan, I can start with you. That is a great question. How do we guide our newest members of the metaverse toward the clearest path toward their own equity in Web3? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind for me is a strong foundation of secure best practices. So, you know, before you start driving the car, buckle in and make sure that, you know, you have things in place like a separate email address 
for your Web3 activities, a hardware wallet, a secure key management methodology, a plan in case of emergency for that secure key management strategy. Um, many of these initial activities uh, are things that do not come across for new users as um, particularly important or pivotal, such as writing down one seed phrase. But I'm sure many of us have lost more tokens than we care to admit uh, due to some of those, um, you know, failing to adhere to security best practices. And I know we've heard a lot of, of a lot of headlines about them. So even before considering something as sophisticated as D-Data, creating a strong foundation upon which you can be an effective and self-sovereign Web3 user um, is, I think, the greatest place to start. Because if you fail to um, securely prepare yourself in that way, you cannot enjoy the fully-fledged self-sovereign metaverse as it evolves after that point. Fantastic starting point. So strong foundation with user interface when it comes to email, make sure it's secure. Uh, and what I'm going to do now is actually pass the challenge that you can't repeat the answer that a fellow panelist has said. Paul, I'm going to turn to you now and ask what advice you would give to a new user when it comes to ensuring their own individual equity building. I think you need to make a conscious choice where you want to spend your time. And I hope that um, not only the user, but also us as, I guess, part of the ecosystem and builders within it are trying to create strong incentives for people to build play-to-earn um, environments which um, distribute value equally among just capital holders and actually people playing there. Because I find this kind of um, sad to see that, that uh, somebody with a lot of capital is actually abusing just somebody who has time and and uh, and you're lending this. So from a financial perspective, fine, that's okay. Um, and uh, it's early days, but I'm I'm quite uh, I'm I'm quite hopeful that we'll see more play-to-earn environments where that um, where the distribution is fairer than what we've possibly seen in the past. So as an advice, I think be very conscious where you spend your time. Um, how how do you participate as as uh, as a stakeholder in the system, and uh, how can you can you take that value potentially out of that environment to another one, if possible or not? Um, yes. And just to follow on from that, because that was a really interesting point, is there a way that you can identify between the good actors and the better actors in in the metaverse? Uh, when it comes to you mentioned that uh, making sure that you select potentially partners or platforms that are there with the right intentions? Yes, I, um, I, I think uh, as soon as you find high barriers to entry and to to leave, I guess, um, this this is, is a clear warning uh, sign that, um, that you're potentially participating in, in, a, in a metaverse or an environment which um, is not fairly designed. Um, and that's for some people, I mean, I think everybody should, yeah, uh, should look what they're joining, but this is sometimes pretty hard. If we want to have very inclusive uh, of metaverse, you can't expect that everyone um, can completely understand how economic incentive systems might be uh, lined out. And maybe coming back to, to what Adam said, um, having, having, I guess, maybe a framework um, in place which helps people to, to decide uh, um, what they are joining and bringing a certain transparency into the space would be, I guess, very helpful for people to, to know what they're actually um, 
participating in. Otherwise, you, you're doing a due diligence like you're an investor, basically. You can't expect this, I don't know, from, from, from everybody. Absolutely. Uh, so now, Ray, I want to turn to you and ask you uh, your insights and anything else that you'd like to add. Yeah, I have a lot to say about for new users. We we just launched our public token event. Uh, I got a chance to do some you know technical support myself personally, uh, pretend to be the supporting lady. Uh, we we raised about almost uh, uh, thirty seven million dollars in two days. Uh, in one hour, we had about ten million dollars coming in. Uh, what I found is a lot of people uh, they don't do research. That's something I, I was really excited and passionate about. Uh, I have an education arm called the Industry Connect, which uh, we, we actually run a school for Polkadot with Akala for a little while. We train about 400 developers. But that education uh, that I, I launched initially because I want to you know, prove myself, become a more confident person. I wasn't a person that I can speak in front of more than three people, especially in this situation. I'll be really, really nervous. But through that, I become entrepreneur and I launched a few uh, startups. So we uh, now that's in six countries. The reason I mentioned about that is that uh, another initiative our treasury is going to fund or potentially raise capital is called the Thunder University. Um, we we target uh, people um, that new to cryptos, uh, and we want to reignite those users for Web3 initiatives through learn to earn. That's a new concept. <laughs> so basically, we already proven a model for uh, in the last five years using centralized database to give people incentives, give people who put in efforts more incentives during the learning journey, more recognition it can be automated. Um, so Thunder University concept was born in 2017, but I put it on hold because the world wasn't ready for it. But now, given the NFT and DeFi and the metaverse, it's going to be really, really useful to solve the major problem that people do not learn to get in cryptos, have this short-term mindset to you know, lose their equity, uh, lose their data assets. Uh, that's the majority of the issues, right? Uh, particularly the short-term thinking, you know, that's just giving people a lot of problems, uh, like uh, the other gentleman, uh, Paul said, you know, uh, they don't, they just rush in and you know, potentially uh, can lose their money. Uh, they need to learn how to vet projects, understand the team culture, and true value. I think that's what's lacking for the uh, early users. And the good news, you know, we've got a solution, a big plan for it. We want to, again, reignite those people uh, for Web3. There was a collective nod there when you said do your own research. I think everyone was in huge agreements with you there. Uh, so, Diane, I'd love to hand it off to you now just to close off this conversation when it comes to individuals and then also uh, organizations as well when it comes to ensuring they can build their own equity correctly and properly in the new metaverse. Oh, seems like my palace have gone. <laughs> so I'm not sure what's happened there to, oh, the guys are back. <laughs> Final quote, we didn't end it there. <laughs> Diana, maybe you're muted. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, so I'd say everything that everyone's talking about, um, absolutely on the money, on the nose. Um, these are all things that can be done right now. But I want to just like, kind of uh, frame it a little bit and say, we're in a technological race that has political ramifications. So 
the communities of you know like of web two and and they like they're gonna if we're talking about it like going back to your point evan about adoption right or use, and and other points about usability like those communities don't necessarily um care what is like the back end driving whatever their experience is right so so if those communities are flipping over to some narrative about you know joining the metaverse and yeah i'm going to call up facebook on this right that that shows us uh, either it's a capitulation right that they're saying oh this is the way the world's going or it's probably more likely and more cynically a way to co-opt whatever is happening right now so i'd say that you know in addition to the things the other panels are talking about you really have to think about what kind of a world you want to live in. Um, and is it a world where, you know, and I've used this phrase like a couple times now, like I'm telling you, like the dopamine hits that you're getting from like getting real, building real equity, accruing equity and things you custody and own, right? Those dopamine hits are going to be much higher than the dopamine hits you get scrolling through TikTok. Trust me on this. And this, this is the way forward for, you know, for our, like, not just for our industry, but for, I really think for society and the internet as a whole, we can really make whole the internet, the original vision of which was decentralized. We have this sort of wayward time where we're, you know, centralized, the internet is centralized, but we're going to get back to what the original vision was, I think, I hope. Rewriting it all. I'm sure a lot of the users now, you've said the song strong statement about more dopamine hits from TikTok. So I'm sure that's converted a lot of people as well. But guys, you've given some fantastic insights throughout the day, especially on this panel. Thank you all so much for joining and taking part. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers can head over and look into your organizations a little bit more for some more context. As this industry does grow, thank you. Really appreciate your time today. Thank, thank you, you. Thanks for hosting. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Blockdown podcast. To connect with us on social media, buy tickets for the next Blockdown event, or find out more about EAK Digital, head to the show notes for further information and links to everything. See you next week.